Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, it's Ashley. And this is Brittany, and you're listening to More Than a Season podcast. Thank you for joining us. Welcome, welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in. We know that there's lots of choices, and we always love to give our appreciation on that because you're here and you're listening to us. So thanks again. We love our community, and we're just so excited, and it's our podcast birthday month. Yeah, so if you're new here, we have actually been around for two years, so we've been Mm -hmm. doing this podcast thing for two years now, which is so crazy. It started as a pandemic project, and you know, two years later. Later, here we are. So to show our appreciation, we are giving away a couple of fun things. Mm-hmm. So we actually already did one of our giveaways and our second one is going to be at the end of this month. So if you're not already following us on Instagram, go ahead and look in the show notes and follow us on Instagram. Yeah, if you really want to take it back in time and see where we started, just go hit that first <laughs> that first episode. But we have come a long way and we're excited to celebrate with you all month long. But if you could pause real quick, and give us a review. It helps us so much and just reach out to other significant others that need a community. So give us a little five-star review and we'd be forever grateful. And Brittany, let's talk about wedding updates. Everyone loves to hear it. So what's been going on? You know, I'm going strong. So we're still still more than a year out and we've got a lot of things planned already. But I am, the next thing I'm looking to secure is our florist and so I've reached out to a couple places and in my head florist is kind of lower on the totem pole of things that are important to Drew and I and I always just feel bad because all the flowers just get thrown away and I've done Mm -hmm. so many weddings and it's just so sad to see all that money get thrown in the trash so we're looking at a couple options but I reached out to one place and I got the quote back and it was a $34,000 oh that's so, it. <laughs> yeah, just a casual 34, you know, more than our catering budget, uh, more than most people's actual full wedding budgets. So it would have made me laugh. I would have been like a respond to the email and be like, did you move the decimal over the wrong direction? Yeah. In my head, I was like, okay, there's no way like maybe, you know, she added this up wrong and I'm like adding up all the things and in the invoice. I'm like, oh, no. Okay. So. Did she even ask you what your budget was or did you just say, give it, give me everything? She asked me my budget. And originally I told her 6000 but I was like, you know, I'm I'm more than willing to kind of like play with that a little bit so that I can see <laughs> the what... The little wiggle room. <laughs> so that I can see like what my dream vision looks like, right? And then cut back. That's always how I am in like wedding and anything and event planning. I'm like, give me the dream, give me the full vision. And then I can at least look at the mm-hmm. invoice and kind of like deduct what I don't want. So that's what I asked for. And she responded back and was like, we've quadrupled that. And I'm like, yeah, we, we have. We sure have. Yeah, that's so. crazy. I just can't imagine. You must have flowers like hanging from the ceiling and on the dance. I can't even imagine. Oh that's gosh. so much floral. It cracks me up too because I had told Drew, like, <laughs> bless his heart. He knows nothing about weddings. He also knows nothing about like event numbers, anything like that. When I told him like, you can't get away with a wedding for less than $50,000 in California anymore. Yeah. Like, you just can't. And he was like, that's crazy. So I was telling him, I'm like, yeah, like, you know, the catering budget's like 25. And he was like, 100? And I was like, <laughs> no, 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 25,000 yes. is like a catering budget. And he was like, 25,000? I'm like, yeah. 2,500? What do you think? Like, 
a little a little for snack. 150 people he's like it was 2500 i'm like no it was not so yeah yeah it's crazy how much things cost especially in the wedding world yeah yeah and i came back from an event actually that's what made me think of the catering budget is that event was for 750 people that i just came yeah. back from is huge it was like three million dollars or something of an event so I don't deal with the budget, so that's good. But yeah, it was crazy. it was in Florida, and I thought I knew humidity and like bugs being in Mississippi, but man, I just got attacked by mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. I showed you yesterday. I was like, look at all these bites on the back of my legs, and I just I didn't even think about it. Like being yeah. near the beach, I was like, oh, it's gonna be fine because I never have that happen to me like in Mexico. But it yeah. was aggressive. The bugs were aggressive in Florida. <laughs> yeah, Florida humidity is not fun either. I don't any humidity. I'm a dry heat person over humidity for sure. I yeah. hate the humidity. And I just I always try to work out once. I went to the gym and I'm not kidding you. I was running on the treadmill and I'm swatting myself like as I'm running because the bugs, they just like, I mean, swarm you. And so long story short, lots of bug bites over here. So any remedies totally open to that. Oh, yeah, me too. I know. We're like talking about that for Texas too because next summer is going to be hot and humid and lots of bugs. So we're (laughs) going to be passing out the bug spray. (laughs) That's awesome. We When we came back, Brittany and I were were literally back in town together for like one week. So we're knocking all these things out and getting ready. And we love recording episodes. And our guest today actually is a good friend of ours that Mm -hmm. we met at our first event we ever had. Yeah, she was so cute. I just have to tell this story real quick. When we first walked into this event that Mm -hmm. we had attended at the football convention, in January, we had this bubbly person be like, oh my gosh, you're the girls for more than a season. I know. And we were so, <laughs> both of us were so caught off guard. We were like, what is going on? Yeah, we never get that. Let's say that. Because yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things. So when that happened, I think both of our mouths just like dropped. And she goes, I love your podcast. And we just sat there and we're like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. We had no idea. We instantly connected with her. She is just so sweet and so outgoing. And after we kind of talked to her, we invited her to a couple of our events. We went out to a bar crawl with her and had a really great weekend. We knew that she would be the perfect person to come on and chat with y'all. We talk all about football and transitions and that awful word, fired. Yeah, I thought you were going to say the awful F word. That no, was good. Okay. <laughs> I know. I should have. The awful F word. Fired. Yeah, it's firing. But she handles it with so much grace and talks about her experience and then how much she's grown from that transition period that she went through and with children. So you'll get to hear her perspective on that. And we won't ruin any more of the episode. So we will see you on the other side. what's going on hello we're excited about this episode yeah welcome back to another fantastic week yeah we have one of our amazing event attendees we met Mm -hmm. her at the convention this past year and we're excited to have her on to talk a little bit about some of the stressful topics in our industry but we won't ruin anything yet we'll go ahead and let her introduce herself Hey ladies, I'm Michelle Jackson. I live in Houston, Texas right now. My husband, Jim, is the Titans coach for Rice University, and we have two kids. We have a daughter, May, who's nine years old and about to enter fourth grade next year, and we have a son, Grant, who will be going into first grade next year. 
we are so excited to have you on because when we held our first event ever in San Antonio, you were such a bright light and Brittany and I were like, oh, we have to have her on the podcast. So we're so excited for you to be our guest. And we always like to do a little bit of a history of how you got put into this industry. So give us the lowdown on how you got started and how you met your significant other. Okay. Backing it up. I guess we've, we've known each other since high school. So that's, I I don't even know if I want to tell you how many years ago that was. (laughs) It was quite a while ago. But we met in high school. We did not date in high school. We were not like high school sweethearts. I think if we did, we wouldn't be married today. Like I was very opinionated as a teenager (laughs) and he was a little full of himself. So we needed to, we need to mellow out a little bit, you know, for sure. So that it could work out someday. Mm -hmm. So uh, we both went off to different schools. I went to Texas Tech and he went to Cornell up in Ithaca, New York. And the summer before our senior year in college, we both had internships in New York City. So we were living in the NYU housing and kind of hung out that summer, but then went back to our own, you know, corners and fast forward a few years, I was working in Chicago and he was a graduate assistant coach at the university of Minnesota. So we both came back to Dallas for Christmas and kind of we had this realization like, oh, those two places don't seem very far apart. Oh, they are, but <laughs> they didn't seem like it at the time. And we decided we wanted to try long distance dating. So before I left back to go to Chicago after Christmas, he had already booked a flight, like their first weekend off and whatever it was, February, probably after signing day, he'd already gotten tickets to come see me in Chicago. So wow, oh haven't looked back since you oh decided goodness. you wanted to do long distance. A yeah. lot of people decided. don't decide that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there always been this like thing brewing and it's like, well, this just was never going to yeah. work out. And then it finally like wait a minute, actually, this doesn't sound so bad. This could work out. Yeah. A six hour drive across uh, Wisconsin. Like that doesn't sound so bad. (laughs) The middle of nowhere. (laughs) So did he play football as well? Or how did he like get involved in coaching? He did. Well, first of all, his dad is a high school coach in Texas and has been for like a million years. There's a funny story, like father and and mother-in-law are from Los Angeles. And when they got married, he told her he wanted to be a football coach and he had to move to Texas to be a football coach because- (laughs) Back in the seventies, like you couldn't, you couldn't make a living anywhere else. So Jim did play at Cornell for two years. He went there for baseball though. So he played four years for baseball. He laughs that like, he probably wasn't good enough to play in college, but the coach was like, sure, you know, whatever you're here for baseball. So if you want to play, that's fine. And then that coach ended up getting fired. The new coach came in and was like, you're not going to play football here. And he's like, you're right. Like, I'll just go back to baseball. So that he ended up coaching football though. He didn't yeah. choose coaching baseball. No, no. I think he saw more opportunity in football gotcha. and that's what he grew up around, you know, but it's funny. Like when we were living in New York, he was having an internship with Merrill Lynch. Like yeah. he was wow. going that route. Wow. And it's funny. Like when I was graduating from college, I wanted to move to New York and I wanted to work for a magazine publishing company. And I'm like, all right, I'm not going to know a soul. But Jim mm-hmm. Jackson will be there. He's going to be working for Merrill Lynch. <laughs> and then I didn't get a single response to a resume. Yeah. And he decided to do a 180 and become a football coach. So wow. our paths like took a different turn. That's crazy. So you guys obviously have kind of been, you know, right there alongside each other this whole time. But then you finally decided to, you know, take the plunge. You start dating. What did you learn like within your first couple seasons of being a football significant other? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. I think one of the things I learned early on. So when I decided to move to Minneapolis, it was his year three of his graduate assistant job. So you guys know what that means. Like, it's like your last year doing that. So I had this idea that like, well, it's going to be a year, like then we'll move somewhere else. Like I'm only going to be here a year. 
I think that really when you associate a clock with how long you're going to be in a place, it really messes with your ability to feel settled, to find a community, to really let go all in. So I think the lesson that I learned is it's best to not in your head, create this clock around like, well, I think I'm only going to be here a year. I think it's going to be three years. I think it's going to be a long time that I'm going to be here. I, I mean, I think like you just live each day for what it is. This is your community. This is your home. Like go all in, whether it's one year or seven years, or even in some cases you might even be there less than a year. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a a good lesson that I've learned that I continue to learn. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That one's so hard being present. And I mean, even me personally, I have a hard time with the clock because you get somewhere and it's so routine to sit there and be like, okay, well in four months I could be packing up and leaving. And you start to live like that. And you almost have to remind yourself, at least for me personally, I have to remind myself almost like every day, just saying like, okay, live now, live present and be here um, where your roots are. So I love that the way that you put that. And what has popped into my head, though, is that you had this dream of going into New York. And for me, I would struggle knowing that I had to let that go. And now I'm in Minneapolis. So what was going through your mind when you had to give that dream up and go somewhere else? I've been fortunate in that I've not had to give up my career. And actually it didn't have anything to do with football. It had probably everything to do with just the way publishing was going back when I was graduating from college. And like, there were fewer print jobs, like there were fewer consumer facing publications like that. Mm -hmm. So it was just harder to get in. So I ended up taking a little bit of a different route and getting into custom publishing and content marketing than as that was coming up somewhere along the way, where was it? Okay. I think when we moved to Carbondale, Illinois, which was after Minneapolis, Mm -hmm. I went back to work for the agency that I was working in in Chicago remotely. So I started working remotely, I think like 2009, like long before that was a thing for everybody. So, and I've sort of just everywhere I go, I bring my laptop, I plug in, I change my time zone on my calendar (laughs) and we go from there. So I think that's been a big blessing for me that have gotten very lucky. And I would say like, I don't like to say that, that this whole COVID thing has brought anything positive out because, you know, there's Mm -hmm. been so many, so much awfulness that came out. But I think like specifically for women in our husband's industries, Mm -hmm. I think like the ability to work remotely has just expanded so much that Mm -hmm. when my husband and I started dating, he, he had this idea that like, you had to be a teacher or a nurse to marry Mm -hmm. a football coach because those were the jobs you could find everywhere. And I'm like, well, I don't do that. So (laughs) I do something different. (laughs) So I'm going to figure this out. Yeah, Yeah. Now I think there's just so much more opportunity to like, not give up your career. Like keep it going. Right. right. I mean, it, not every employer is, is open to that, but I think so many more are now. Yeah. I feel like that's exactly what we get questions about all the time is people wanting to keep hold of their career or maybe switch into something more remote because of this industry that we're in. And I think it's so funny. I always say like, if you're a teacher, you're made to be in this industry because it's just, it mm-hmm. lines up perfectly with the time off and things like that as well. But if you had any advice to give to somebody looking to hold on to their job and maybe like advocate for themselves to be a remote position, what would you say? I would say like build your own case with your, with your boss, with your manager, with your employer, like show them you can do it, make a plan for like showing how it's going to work and find some data to support it. I mean, I think like we are more efficient when we work at home than we are at the office. There's not Mm -hmm. these side conversations that take place. Like you can tell your story to your employer, I think, and like make your case, like document it, get, get some supporting data to back it up. For sure, but I think yeah. like making a plan and taking it to your, your boss, like, I think that's the first thing to do. Yeah. I love that. 
Yeah, I read something the other day and that made me think of it as us as women tend to be way more timid and asking for things, whether it would be um, an increase in salary, an opportunity, things like that to get that promotion. And so I think that that is great advice to tell other significant others or women out there that are trying to find that remote opportunity to just go for it and get your case together and that it could be a potential opportunity. I want to switch gears and talk about a little bit of a tough topic and get into the whole firing of the industry. And we have talked about this multiple times before because the word firing in corporate sounds so awful. And for us in the sports industry, it's very normalized. That's just part of it. But what people don't know that are on the outside Outside is that us as the significant others are usually tied into families and kiddos and communities. So let's dive into that a little bit. What have you found from going through one of your first firing experiences, that first set of emotions that came over you? Yeah. You know, back when it first happened, I mean, there's initially you're, you're scared, you're angry. The anger can turn into bitterness. I think it's, it's hard not to take it personally, you know, like yes, this is something that happened to them and their job. And it really has nothing to do with you, but it has everything to do with you. Mm -hmm. And it has to do with your kids. Like when we went through it, my kids were both old enough to feel it, like to, to know what was going on. I think we had several of our friends who had been through firings before, you know, told both of us, cause it was, it was his first time. It was my first time to go through it with him. They all said, you know, it's hard to see this when you're in it, but you're going to come out on the other side. Mm -hmm. You're going to land on your feet. Like it doesn't feel like it, but it will. And I think like that was almost impossible to like come to realize while you're in it, mm -hmm. in the thick of it the first time. Yeah. I think maybe that will be more comforting to me. Like if it happened, God willing, if it happens again, <laughs> yeah. but I would say like the feelings of bitterness and mm -hmm. anger that stuck with me probably longer than I wanted it to, like, yeah. to be honest with you, like it didn't go away when the new job was found, mm -hmm. even when we moved and got settled. I think what finally like helped me shake that and helped me like process that I started seeing a therapist and mm -hmm. she's a, a cognitive behavioral therapist. So I think she helped me, you know, talk through things to help me process it. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like that anymore, but it certainly is a real thing for a long time. And until you do something to actively address it, those yeah. feelings might carry with you. Yeah. I feel like that's so real. And in this industry, I think a lot of us hold on to some of that bitterness. It builds up just like we were talking about, you know, before I think something happens and it continues to build up and you're holding on to it, holding on to it. And then it comes out as bitterness, resentment and things like that. Was there that reaction with your husband as well? Like, did he feel bitter? Was he resentful? Like, was he having the same feelings that you were? Or did you guys have any conversations about that? Oh yeah. Tons. I mean, I think he felt it too. I don't know. This may be like a male brain, female brain thing. Like he probably like got over it faster. Cause that's just, or maybe that's his personality. I don't know. Yeah. I think too, though, like I mean, we had a lot of conversations. So this happened like in the middle of the season. So it was like mid late October, he got his new job, like first of February. So there was a good three months oh, wow. of a lot. an unknown. And so we had this thing where we would drop our kids off at school and we would go to the mall and with the 80 year old women, <laughs> we would walk circles around the mall and just like have these conversations about yeah. like, what could this be? And do we really want to do this? And what do we want here? And I should say the reason we were in the mall, cause we were in Massachusetts and yeah. it was cold. Out. Yeah. You can't, you can't walk anywhere else. <laughs> but so I think like we helped each other 
mm-hmm. with the initial, you know, processing of emotions and feelings. And it's very easy to, in situations like that, to kind of like find yourselves on two different teams, yeah. but constantly remembering that we are the Jacksons. This is our team. Like we are teammates. We are in this together. We're going to help each other through this. We're going to figure it out. I'm proud of our ability to not find ourselves on two different teams mm-hmm. during that time. Yeah. No, that's a good point that you do. You start to feel that resentment, even though it's something that they obviously did not get fired on purpose, but you feel all that nervousness and scared emotion because you're like, well, this is your career and it put us in this situation. You could easily take that route. But I think that it's great that you chose to be united front, especially for your kiddos too, because they probably are looking to you like what is about to happen. So that takes a lot of strength. But with the women that are on the same team, I want to say, I feel like there is this awkwardness that just weighs on everybody. So when someone gets released or someone new comes and removes one of your friends, there's just this weird tension that is there. And whether we mean it or not, it is always there. So what advice can you give to our listeners to just basically reach out to that person that has been let go or the new one that's coming in to embrace because it's so hard, I feel like, in that situation? Yeah. I would say like with that awkwardness, it's on both sides. So like you're feeling a little uneasy and awkward. They're feeling a little uneasy and awkward, like address the elephant in the room. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like when, when it happened to me, you know, I had several of the wives like reach out right away, like calls or texts, you know, like, I'm so sorry this happened. Like we're here for you, you know, whatever you need. And it was, you know, just sort of this nice, like, okay, like they're, they're still here supporting me. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, and the people who didn't send those messages, it, what I came to realize is it wasn't like an ill will kind of scenario. It's like, you don't, you find yourself not knowing what to say, or yeah. if you should say it, you know, yeah. like, would this person rather me not say anything? And I would say like, especially with the relationships that you want to maintain, just get past it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like just an easy, like, Hey, I'm so sorry this happened. I'm here for you. Like, that's it. Like, that's mm-hmm. all the olive branch that's needed in that situation. Yeah. I feel like that's the, that's the awkward part too, is a lot of people probably not trying to be mean. We're just like, does she want me to keep bringing it up that this is a terrible exactly. thing that just happened? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Having gone through this, I will say you have to do what you need to for your own mental health. And if it means like distancing yourself from certain things like temporarily or even a little longer term, like you have to, you have to do what you need to do to process it. So if that means a little bit more distance, then it's, it's your own mental health that, that you have to take care of. Right. Right. I, I want to kind of dive into that a little bit too, because I think it's important in a lot of these places that we're at are smaller towns or, you know, smaller communities. And if you're there and your significant other gets another job and you maybe have to like stay behind with the kids, what is your thought process on that? Do you want to get out as soon as possible because it's better for you or what's better for the kid? Like, can you talk through that process a little bit? Yeah. You know, just in, we've had several transitions now with our kids, like, and not all of them, only one of them has been like, we got kicked out. (laughs) Sometimes we were leaving on our own accord. I would say like, it's always kind of dependent on ages and schools. And the first move we made with kids, our daughter was just like a year and a half. So it just made sense to come as soon as we could, you know, because I was working remotely. We didn't need to worry about her finishing school or anything. The next move, our son was in daycare and she was in kindergarten. So we made the decision to 
move her halfway through the year and mm-hmm. move her literally from California to Massachusetts. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you can't get any farther. You cannot get any farther or you can, but I'm going to try not to. Yeah. But like this last one, we stayed until the school year ended because they were in, um, my daughter was in second grade. So she, she was getting her first communion made. Mm-hmm. She's a competitive dancer. So she had her dance season to finish out. So like there were reasons to stay. So I, I feel like it, it sort of changes every time. I will say like, by definition, we get there as soon as we can, like mm-hmm. as soon as we can. And it makes sense for our kids. We get there. Yeah. You know? That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. With that transition period where everything is up in the air and you're not sure that gap that you were saying between October and then the end of the transition period being almost three or four months later, I know you went and walked in the mall, but when you come home at night and you sit and it is quiet, that is when all the thoughts creep in and the fear and just those anxious feelings. So is there any other things that you did to keep you locked in and straight mentally during that time? I would say like one of the things we did was, you know, this was a unique, I don't want to call it an opportunity. Like it, it, it stunk <laughs> while it was going yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a unique scenario that myself and my kids are getting with my husband that like, other than like a global pandemic that shut everybody down. Like that Mm -hmm. was time we got together that we didn't anticipate, but these things don't come around often. Right. So I think like taking advantage of like, he got to go trick-or-treating with us that year, opportunities that he misses every year that we got to do together. So trying to revel in what Mm -hmm. we got versus what we didn't have, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think like naturally with the ages that our kids were like, you're so busy that sometimes you just, it helps you maintain like a sense of normalcy, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're doing so much like staying busy isn't a bad thing during those times, you know, was he able to kind of dive into those activities and things like that? Or was he a little bit distracted? So one of the things I had done before he got fired is, you know, you have these sense of uneasiness and you think something might be stirring. Like mm-hmm. I created our like bare bones budget. Like if something bad happens, this is what we're going to. And one of those was well, we can't have our nanny anymore. Like you're going to be the, you're going to be Mr. Mom. Like you're going to be taking the kids to school or Mr. Nanny. Cause that's who took my kids to school and picked them up. But like, he was the, the carpool mom. Like he was the carpool nanny. Like, so he, he got way involved in the school. Our kids go to Catholic school. Our priest at, at church, like stopped him after church one day. And he goes, so I know you're, you're not working right now. What do you think about substitute teaching at school? <laughs> my daughter was like, no, no dad. Not going to happen. That's awesome. I love that. That was my next question. Actually, you brought it up was budgeting and being prepared for that emergency fund. So what did you do? What steps did you take to prepare for that? Because I feel everyone needs it. Even if you have a contract for however many years, I feel like you still need to have that emergency plan in case something happens. Yeah, I would say, you know, like, and I think this is just like a general best practice for anybody in any realm is, you know, having some sort of liquid savings when you can. And I get that, like, that's not always possible to build up in every Mm -hmm. area of this profession. Mm -hmm. Right. But having that something that's pretty liquid that you can get to when you need to, but also like putting some thought around, like, how do we get our budget down to like bare bones? You know, what do we need versus what do we have to have Mm -hmm. and sort of eliminating those things. And like with our kids, it was kind of a challenge to say like, well, how can we not take away things from them to the point where they're not feeling normal. You know, like we can't pull our daughter out of dance. Like that's her thing. Like maybe we can cut back on some privates or this, but like trying to figure out like what is going to be cut that won't impact them as Mm -hmm. much. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I feel like that's the number one question that I feel like people have is, you know, how do you prepare for that? And I think it's probably a little bit 
or leaving to have your own job so that you know that you at least have some money coming in if that does happen again. You mentioned earlier about talking to your children that they kind of were aware of what was going on in that whole situation. So what was the conversation that you had and like what would you recommend to people? Yeah, I know. I guess like in all things with our kids, we try to be honest with them to their age appropriate level. Mm -hmm. You know, the night that it, or the day that it happened that night, we sat them down and said, you know, dad isn't going to be working here anymore. He lost his job. And so, you know, my daughter says, does this mean we have to move? And we said, yes, but we don't know where, and we don't know when, but eventually we are going to have to move. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's funny, like one of the things I, I dislike the most about this lifestyle. And the thing that I dread the most is telling my kids they're moving, like Mm -hmm. telling my daughter that we're moving. Like she's, she's into her friends. Like she's, you know, like most, like so many kids are, um, I dread having to tell her whether it's like a positive, like, guess what? Dad got a great job. We're moving. Or if it's this, um, so back when we were in San Diego and moving to Massachusetts, she, this was the first time that she found out she was going to be moving. And the first time she realized, oh, like we move, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, she, we told her we were, we were moving and she, you know, goes into tears right away. And then she says, well, are we going to be living in Massachusetts forever? Or are we going to have to move from there? And I'm like, well, we don't know when we don't know where, but I think it's, it's likely that you're going to have to move again. I mean, just I'm honest with her. Yeah. So, and then I follow that up with, but if we have to move from Massachusetts, I'll get you a dog when we move, <laughs> which, you know, we're talking about the clock, not applying a clock. I thought like, oh, I've got a good, like three, four, maybe five years if we're lucky yeah. like before I have she'll to forget. make it on that promise or she'll forget. <laughs> Fast forward one and a half years. It was only one and a half years that we were there. So we have this conversation. She's upset. She's crying. And then she goes, does this mean I get a dog? And I'm like, oh, snap. Like, yes. But I said, not until we move, not until we're settled, but we'll get you a dog. Like we'll get our dog. And And my hope now is this is like an emotional support dog. Like when we move, we get to bring this dog with us. Like this dog's coming with us. Like we can't bring your friends, but we can bring your dog. Yeah. And what's the dog's name and what type of dog is it? Her name is Lacey. She is a rescue. So we don't exactly know what kind of dog she is. She's part poodle. So she's like about 30 pounds or so. Mm -hmm. She's white, fluffy. I really don't know what kind of dog she is. Like those rescues, you just get them and I just didn't want her to shed. So she's part poodle. I'm happy about that. Yeah. And (laughs) has she become the emotional support dog for all future things? (laughs) Or they're like, yeah, what's next, mom? What's next? (laughs) Okay. So I work from home all the time. Right. So like I'm the one with this dog and I'm not a dog person. Like I I love, I should say, I love other people's dogs, other people's cats, like whatever you can have, you can have a zoo at your house and like, I'm happy for you, whatever. (laughs) I don't want one myself. Yeah. This dog is obsessed with me. Like (laughs) it's always how it is. I feel like. Like she, like I'll go to the grocery store and she'll be at home with the kids and my husband. And I come back home and I think she's going to have a literal, literal heart attack when she sees me. Like she's so happy to see me. I'm like, why do you like me so much? That's the best though. I feel like we could go on and on about our dogs though. Definitely dog moms over here on our end. But with kids, it's so hard. We talk about it a lot. When you were a coach's kid, you were so resilient and you mature so fast because you have to be placed in different cultures and start over and do those things. So has there been any um, times or just memories that you can think of where your daughter has maybe shown that and you can share that story with us of how she just has settled and been like, okay, 
this is on to the next move or this is the new chapter, just things like that, that you could encourage other parents. You know, I think one of the things that I prioritize in a move, probably all moms are like this. Like I'm putting myself second, I'm putting my kids first. Like the first thing I need to do is I need to create their communities for them. Like for us, she, our daughter's into dance. So it's finding a dance studio right away for our son. It's like, okay, what's, where can we find a group of friends for him? He's into boy Scouts. Like, does the school have a boy scout troop? We can get him into Mm -hmm. like finding a pocket of potential friends for them right away and getting them involved in something right away. I think is like a really important thing that I heard from somebody long ago before I had kids. And it kind of stuck with me. Like don't waste any time, like then signed mm-hmm. up for soccer or yeah. for whatever it is, basketball, summer league, like whatever it is. So I think we try and like not to waste any time with that kind of thing. I, I love that though, because I feel like at least with me growing up, I played sports my whole life. My parents always told me like, you have to play a sport. And if you don't do a sport, if you don't, if you're not interested, because my brother was like played every sport under the sun and still was not interested. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, fine, you have to find something that you are into. And so he started doing art and taking art classes. So I think it's important no matter what, if your kids in the sports industry or not to have that place that they can feel like they belong. And if you can create that at every space that you're going to next, then they'll just already feel a part of the community and they'll feel like they're at home you know, even though they're kind of starting a new place. So I love that you you just said that because I think that's such a good reminder for our parents that are listening to this to kind of build that for your kids because they can't do it themselves. It's up to you to kind of insert them into their friend group and then let them make friends on their own. Did you have any issues with your kids hearing things at school, like with the transitions or anything where they came home and had friends say things to them? You know, I've never actually had that happen. And maybe it's like their ages. They're still a little young. Mm-hmm. I'll say like, up until we moved back to Texas, we didn't live in States where football was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, the state of Massachusetts, it's a hockey state. So I haven't really had that come up yet. Mm-hmm. There was a, a funny story of my son though. Like last year, his first year in school in Texas, he um, had this assignment from the teacher. He's in kindergarten. And it was the assignment was to write two sentences about what you love best about Texas. So he writes, and he's this little curmudgeon six-year-old. Like he's like a six-year-old going on 75. <laughs> and he writes, well, first of all, we got fired from UMass. Second of all, I've only been to the Alamo once. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even have so, emo- so many emotions like reading this right now. And I'm like, first of all, the teacher, the poor teacher probably like got this and thought like, oh my God, this kid just like spilled a family secret that mom and dad don't want anybody to know. Like little does she know, like you said, firing is normalized. It's like, this happens to everybody. Like it's no big deal. But I'm like, I feel like I might owe the teacher like a quick explanation. Like, don't worry. Like it's cool. Yeah. We're we're good. We're good with firings over here. (laughs) That's such a powerful statement. Those two sentences. That's hilarious. I love that (laughs) that you shared that. We do ask one last question on every single one of our interviews. And so I want to ask you before we close out here is if you could go back in time and tell your younger self something that you know now, what would you share? It could be about the industry. It could be about life in general. Just one thing that you would tell yourself. I think like the, the, the more I see, the older I get, the more people I come into contact with, I think I know who I am. I know what I'm not. I know I'm, I feel braver every stop. I feel more confident at every stop. I think like going back, I would get to that faster, you know, like Mm -hmm. You are you like, you don't make apologies for it. You're brave. You're confident. Like you're smart. Like you do you, you know, like get in there and be yourself. Right. Like, I think Mm -hmm. I would, I would get myself to that faster. 
I love that. I feel like we haven't heard that yet. And I, you know, I think it's the same for us as we've kind of gotten along in this industry, you feel more confident in who you are. And just knowing that like, if you don't agree with some people and you're not being friends with everybody and that's life. And as long as you stay true to yourself, I think that's what's important. So I love the way that you put that. But thank you so much. We had so much fun having you on the pod and finally getting to sit down and talk, you know, some interesting topics with you. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. This was a blast. Yes, and thank you to everyone that's listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on More Than a Season Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at More Than a Season Podcast for the latest updates. If you've enjoyed this episode, please download, subscribe, or leave us a review on your choice of platform. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.